HPR's The Exchange podcast is brought to you in part by Granite State College, Keene State College, Plymouth State University, and the University of New Hampshire. This is your university system. From New Hampshire Public Radio, I'm Laura Canoy, and this is The Exchange. Today, stone walls. What makes a New England stone wall so attractive, such an essential part of any classic image of our region? Here's what our guest says. A stone wall mutely proclaims the stupendous tedium of hand labor endured by its creators and celebrating their stoic, ephemeral victory over the wilderness. We sat down for the hour with Kevin Gardner, a Stonewall builder, writer, and author of several books, including The Granite Kiss, and now his latest, Stone Building, How to Make New England-Style Walls and Other Structures the Old Way. And just a reminder, this is a rebroadcast of an earlier show, so we won't be taking any new calls or emails during the hour. Kevin Gardner, welcome back. It is great to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Laura. It's terrific to be here. Well, and I also want to let people know that uh, Kevin brought in his own little stone wall. He built it here in the Exchange studio this morning. <laughs> so if you want to see um, pictures of that, we will put some on our Facebook page and our website. So check it out. He is already mending the wall as we speak. Kevin, I want to start off this very New Hampshire conversation with a very New Hampshire poet, Robert Frost, and his poem, Mending Wall. Now, for those who don't know this poem, it's about two neighbors at spring wall mending time. We're not going to play the whole thing, but here's a little bit of Frost himself reading part of this poem where a classic line comes in. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go, to each the boulders that have fallen, to each. And some are loaves, and some so nearly balls, we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side, it comes to little more. There where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Okay, so if you're wondering where that phrase comes from that you've probably used yourself, there it is, Robert Frost. I can't help but chuckle, Kevin. Um, you know, my apples aren't going to eat your pine cones. If people want to hear the full audio of Robert Frost reading this poem on our website, nhpr.org slash exchange. Also, other listeners have posted their favorite Stonewall pictures, so you can post them on our website or on a Facebook page. If you've got one to share, Go ahead. We'd love to see it. So, Kevin, you write in your books, including this new one, about the messages a stone wall sends to us today. And we'll definitely talk about that. But what about to the colonists, Kevin? You know, those early folks who were sort of eking out a living in a scary, harsh landscape. What did the stone wall say to them? Well, uh, the first thing that uh, stone wall said to them was nothing. Um, because they didn't begin their uh, career building fences between sections of farmland uh, by using stone. This is one of the reasons why we got so many of them so quickly. Uh, their first choice of fencing was uh, the great mess that you get when you have to cut down thousands of acres of virgin timber. Uh, and so uh, our earliest fences in most areas of 
uh, New England uh, during the days of settlement were made of stumps pulled out and lined up in great big forbidding rows or uh, more formally split rails that uh, created a kind of zigzag fencing. But at the same time that they were doing this, they obviously discovered that we live in a remarkably stony part of the country. <laughs> That's so for sure. The obligation to clear enormous amounts, not only of surface stone, but of stone that they hadn't realized was just under the surface, um, caused them to bring it out to the edges of these fields that were bound in by organic fencing and throw it up against those fences. When the clearing was more or less complete and they didn't have that kind of material anymore in large quantities, they simply began to reorganize the uh, long, low mounds of stone that they had um, uh, up against the old organic fencing, and that's how we began to get our stone walls. So that's interesting. So the early, early fences that these um, settlers made were out of trees, and they were clearing the land for farming, mm-hmm. and then they had the trees left over, so they made fences out of the trees. But as yeah. they tried to farm, they kept finding these rocks, and uh, you put it so right as a you know small-time gardener myself, you think, okay, I got all the stones off, and then you dig a little bit, and you go, oh. <laughs> no, I didn't. More stones. <laughs> right. right. So then they decided, all right, you know, life gives you lemons. Let's make lemonade. Life is giving us stones. Let's make stone walls. It's true. It's true. So what was the other message that it sent to them, Kevin, um, beyond this practical, you know, okay, here I am using what I've got in front of me. Um, the idea that, and I'm quoting here from your book, um, the stone wall separated the safe, cleared space from the feral, threatening woods. The stone wall is the tamer, the wall of civilization. Talk a little bit about that, Kevin. Well, I think you have to um, uh, appreciate uh, exactly what our earliest colonists faced when they came here. And you hear a lot of you see a lot of uh, things in uh, writing of the period. I'm talking now about the um, first half of the 17th century, the 1600s. Uh, uh, it has to do with their relationship to what they found when they got here, which seemed to them to be um, uh, what some of them called a howling wilderness, a great, uh, awful, fearsome uh, uh, stretch of pure forest full of uh, heathen Indians who were uh, uh, foreigners in every sense of the word and so forth. And so to create little farms in, uh, in the European style or British style on this land required that they tame it, that they somehow civilize it. And, and the civilizing influence of a, a stone wall, which is, uh, or any kind of wall, um, uh, is a sign of human habitation and therefore a sign of psychological and, uh, and practical safety. Right. It makes you feel like you've got some stake there, even though a threat could pretty easily step over a stone wall and still get at you. It makes you, mm-hmm. it's a way to stake your claim in something hard and enduring like stone. Yes, that's right. You mentioned the British. Now, how did they approach stone walls? Because I think I read in one of your books, Kevin, that it's a little bit different. This idea of the small New England walled off, um, stone walled off farm is, is not quite what the Brits do. Well, the um, uh, the model that was brought here for effective farmland was uh, clearly a British model, and essentially it held that smallish fields produced best. And this was mainly because all work was done by hand. Uh, and so you had a reasonable chance of sowing or plowing or uh, cutting the hay on a, on a piece that was three or three to five acres or even one to two acres than you did on, a, on the typical 10, 15, 20-acre fields that we now see. Uh, it was only when farming became mechanized in the 19th century that uh, fields began to grow larger. What about the idea of a commons, though? Um, you know, sending your cows to, to munch on the grass at a commons. Did a stone wall put a stop to that? 
It was part of the larger movement that had already begun in Great Britain by the time colonists arrived here, uh, which goes by the name of enclosure, uh, in which the old uh, medieval system of lands held in common by any by all the members of, uh, of a community began to give away to private ownership of particular tracts. They tried that here uh, in Massachusetts Bay and uh, and down in the Plymouth area. You've got the Boston Commons still, right? That's right. Um, uh, we still have remnants of the idea in some of the names of, of places. Uh, however, in the United States at that time, there was so much land. Uh, well, it's all still there now, isn't it? Uh, but the enormity of the land made individual ownership much more attractive. And eventually, um, and it didn't take very long to do this, uh, that common use of particular tracts gave way to the notion that uh, every person could have their own uh, spread, so to speak. That's so interesting. So already this idea of grazing in a common place had fallen out of fashion, and the abundance of land and the abundance of stone <laughs> made that even easier? Yes. Yes, no question about it. The number for you to join us as we talk about the history and the stories of stone walls, and a little bit later we'll get into some of the practicalities of actually building or repairing a wall, 1-800-892-6477. Here's your chance. If you've always wondered about the stone walls you see around you, we'd love to hear from you, one 800 8926477 send us an email exchange at nhpr.org respond on facebook or twitter at nhpr exchange by the way, Kevin Gardner is creating a mini stone wall in our studios as we speak. So if you want to check it out, you can look at uh, Twitter or Instagram. Go ahead and check it out. We also have some photos uh, on our Facebook page and our website that people sent in of stone walls. So check those out as well. Kevin, let's go to our listeners. And Dave's calling from Henniker. Hi, Dave. You're on the exchange. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be there, Laura. Uh, first of all, Kevin, you do a terrific job of building stone walls and you helped us separate out a garden from a lawn and that's the kind of stone wall i'd love to have secondly i was thinking of robert frost's poem in which people tend to remember the part about uh, good walls make good fences. good neighbors make good fences or the other way around but there's another phrase in there that i'd like people to remember and that is that something there is that doesn't like a wall and I think between neighbors, that's nice, because we tend to build walls to separate ourselves out from our neighbors or others, and that there's something that tries to push that down, which, of course, is gravity. And I like that analogy. Well, Dave, uh, you are the perfect caller today, because <laughs> we should talk about that. I mean, that's another theme in this Frost poem, something doesn't like a wall, and um, Dave, I'm going to play uh, a little bit more of the poem that gets at that theme. So thank you so much for calling. Again, here's Robert Frost. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. Again, that was Robert Frost. So what is it, Kevin, that something that doesn't love a wall? You write that there's actually a lot of somethings. Yes, I think that uh, Frost um, somewhat overstates the effect of Frost, um, including his own effect. Uh, but what's interesting to uh, note about this is that 
uh, like all great poets, Frost is talking about more than one thing at the same time. I think one of the deftest lines in that poem is uh, the phrase, to whom I was like to give offense, uh, which doesn't sound much different from uh, to whom I was like to give a fence. Um, uh, but uh, Frost is not just talking about uh, uh, Frost itself, that phenomenon. He's also talking about the kinds of other things that set out to destroy walls the minute they're built, such as expanding tree roots or uneven compression from one part of the wall to another, uh, or even bad building. Um, one of the uh, things that's little remarked on about mending wall is the fact that Frost and his neighbor are engaged in an annual chore, not a special event. Uh, and the type of wall that... Um, uh, sits between Frost's old property down in East Derry and the property next door is called a single stack, a farmer style of wall. It's an exceptionally fragile type of wall that loses stones literally every single year because it's only one stone thick and it's very easy for any kind of disturbance to push uh, stones off it or to topple them from the uh, from the peak of it. Uh, and although uh, it's a little odd to see that type of wall built in New England because one of the ancillary objectives of wall builders here was to use as much stone as possible. The speed with which they can be built and repaired made them attractive anyway. Well, and so if you had a better wall, you wouldn't have to do what Robert Frost and his neighbor do, which is this annual spring rite where they go side by side on their sides of the wall and mending it. Mm -hmm. Most walls need regular maintenance, and the fact that they haven't had it, um, so many of our antique walls, uh, means that they're in relatively terrible shape. Uh, however, uh, single-stack walls clearly need quite a bit more of it and more regular attention than other kinds. Well, it did give Robert Frost fodder for a poem, so maybe it's good that it fell apart. That alone spring. made it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take another call, Dave. Thank you so much for that one. The number for you to join us with your comments, questions about stone walls, old and new. Here in New Hampshire, 1-800-892-6477. Send us an email, exchange at nhpr.org. And uh, Kevin, Peggy is in Center Harbor. Hi, Peggy. Thanks for coming on with us today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my comment is, um, I've been living in New Hampshire since 1970. And I remember back then, uh, traveling the roads of New Hampshire, the stone walls were so beautiful and so visible wherever you went. And now they're very hard to see. Um, you know, I guess years of leaves falling and um, soil, and they're just getting covered up. And I really think that's sad. Well, Peggy, this is a great question. And um, so she's been here for a good long time, Kevin. Used to see stone walls all the time. Now where are they? Well, you know, um, uh, we think that uh, our old stone walls tend to deteriorate from the top down, but Peggy makes a really good point, and, and that is that in reforested areas, they are losing height steadily from the bottom as well. Uh, if you dig away at the edges of an old stone wall that's been in the woods for 150 years, you can often find one or two feet of wall uh, that has now hidden itself under the grade. And in fact, this is one Wait, of the... Wait, one or two feet Oh, Under? yes. Well, you're talking they about... They sink that far? Shoot, no, they, they're not sinking. They're getting buried by leaf fall and all the stuff that blows oh, through the sure. woods because they right. act in the woods like snow fences, except that they pick up everything that comes off the trees. Uh, and so, obviously, that rots down over time and simply builds the soil up against the uh, walls themselves. Now, most of the old-timers, uh, contrary to some rumors, uh, built their walls directly on the ground. And so, of course, Laura, there was sinking, um, uh, depending on how hard the... Uh, how heavy 
heavy the wall itself was and how soft the underlying, uh, underlying uh, uh, soil was. Uh, but uh, these walls are being hidden uh, much more by, uh, by the annual leaf fall that rots up against them. Now that's in the woods. What about mm-hmm. along the roadsides? Are stone walls being destroyed um, in some instances? Well, there's no question that they're being pilfered. You know, the old weathered stones in our New England stone walls have become fantastically valuable as building material. Uh, and uh, this, is a, uh, this is a serious problem in many places because uh, it's very easy to just drive down some country road where no one's around and load up your truck with a whole bunch of uh, nice-looking stones from uh, any old wall you find and then put them on the highway, drive down 95 to Florida and sell them for astounding amounts of money uh, to people who use them for fireplace facades and so on. Wow. Well, Peggy, there you have it. Thanks for calling. This is The Exchange on NHPR. So, Kevin, what are your own thoughts about uh, pilfering, borrowing, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, that material that you might see off on some, you know, remote road in, in the far northern reaches of New Hampshire? Well, I think it's uh, obviously disappointing and, and uh, destructive of our heritage landscape, in a sense, to uh, pilfer stone walls for uh, crass commercial purposes elsewhere in New England. Uh, but I have to also say that I'm uh, at least ambivalent about uh, this because uh, as a restorer of antique walls who often needs uh, extra stone that matches the weathered aspect of the uh, old stone in the walls that I'm working on, uh, I am constantly looking for uh, additional sources of extra stone. And there is only one place to get nice old weathered field stone, and that's out of old destroyed walls. So uh, uh, my purity as a, uh, as a defender of uh, all the old wreckage of the New England agricultural landscape uh, is somewhat complicated by that because I have to uh, dig into old walls to get the materials I need as well. well Further, uh, yeah, go ahead. Furthermore, there's a tradition here in New Hampshire that has been uh, uh, in force for a long, long time, and it's only the new attention to our old landscape that has uh, caused this practice to become disreputable, and that is that, uh, and that is the tradition of people who actually build stone walls doing exactly the same thing that the pilferers are doing. Um, in the old days, and I'm talking now about the 40s and 50s, um, uh, when there were far fewer people out on these country roads and the new housing boom had not started, it was common practice for all stone wall builders um, uh, to drive up and down the roads. This is how the man who taught me, my uncle, Derek Owen, uh, was taught uh, by the, uh, the generations before him. This is where you find your stones, Kevin. That's right. That's right. And it you didn't matter. You go and matter. steal them. Well, it wasn't thought of as stealing. I'm was, saying that yeah. to needle you. No, yeah, it's true, ahead. though. It's true. It is stealing, but it wasn't thought of that way. And so this, um, uh, this practice was quite common before, um, uh, before it suddenly was deemed uh, disreputable. What do you call it? Igneous larceny? Yes, I do. I'd call it That sounds very larceny. fancy, and you, know, you can kind of hide behind that and feel a little bit better about yourself. Yes, that's right. Well, you write about this in, um, in your book, uh, The Ethics of Taking Stones from a Crumbling Wall that You Might Find by the Roadside, um, where it seems nobody lives. And in the book you ask, I'm quoting here, Kevin, if I take stone from a half-collapsed old wall that will never be restored to build a new one or refresh a deserving antique, Am I committing robbery or renewal? Absolutely. 
And, so how do you uh, answer that question for that yourself? Depends on the, it depends on the situation. You know, when we go and, uh, and uh, plunder, if you will, old walls for the stones that we need, we always uh, uh, deal with the actual owner of the stones, either by paying them for it. Uh, or in some cases, you know, people are still removing stone walls to get them out of the way. And we can often uh, find entire stretches of stone wall to purchase and, and take for use in our own projects. So in that sense, maybe you pay a little bit less because somebody's building a new development and they don't want the stone wall there. Yes, it happens. And you know what, Laura? Farmers in many places are still uh, enlarging fields as well. Well, you write, my predecessors here, who never hesitated to alter the landscape, recombine dismantled barns and houses, or move the church from one part of town to the other, would think my recycling as natural as rain. That's a quote uh, from you, Kevin. So it's it's larceny or it's recycling. Depends on uh, how you define it. Yeah, and it also depends on how you how closely you want to look at the practices of our forebears here, uh, who were entirely practical people and did not worry very much about uh, how precious older things were, uh, since in their own day there were very few old things ar- around here. Tell us a little bit more about your uncle, Owen. He's really, Derek Owen, he's the one who really got you into this. Yeah, I went to work for him when I got out of school in the early 1970s. And he's a farmer. He's not a mason, but he has uh, uh, all those multiple skills that you have to have when you are the proprietor of a small New England farm. And one of them was um, that he knew how to build stone walls. He'd been taught in the the 1930s and uh, early 40s by older uh, generations of men who knew what they were doing. So out of necessity, it's not that he woke up and said, I want to be a stone wall builder. He said, I need to build a wall so that I can have my farm. Well, he uh, certainly applied his skills to his own farm where repairs uh, were necessary on the old crumbling walls out there. Um, at the same time, he uh, discovered, and, and people in the, in the area knew him for this, um, uh, that uh, there was a bit of a market uh, for people who knew how to build stone walls. And that market was growing. It began to really expand in the late uh, 1970s. Uh, and so from uh, simple repairs of, uh, of older walls uh, for particular customers, we began to build new ones as well. And when we first started, we were uh, essentially the only company in the immediate area that was doing this. Uh, but that rapidly changed. All right. Coming up, we'll talk more about that, including a younger generation getting involved in this venerable old tradition. And by the way, Kevin is building a stone wall as we speak on the air. So you can check out the pictures on Instagram and Twitter. It's the first time, I think, Kevin, that someone has actually built a stone wall while being interviewed. So I appreciate you for uh, giving me a first there. <laughs> we'll talk more in just a moment. This is The Exchange on NHPR. This is The Exchange. I'm Laura Kanoy. Today in The Exchange, the stories of stone walls with Stonewall builder and author Kevin Gardner. We'd love your questions and comments on this. What what have you always wondered about that stone wall that you see on your way to work or that stone wall that you sometimes trip over when you go walking in the woods? Your questions and comments are welcome at one 800 8926477 email exchange at nhpr.org respond on facebook or twitter at nhpr exchange so stone walls is the topic this hour but tomorrow in the exchange we're going to be talking about concussions and we'd love your help with that show as well given emerging research on contact sports and the young brain 
Are you reconsidering contact sports in light of this? Or do you think the concern is overdone and that the benefits of these sports far outweigh the risks? So let's get your thoughts on that, too, before tomorrow's show. You can send us an email, exchange at nhpr.org. Respond on Facebook or Twitter at NHPR Exchange. So that little tumbling sound that you might have just heard is Kevin building a stone wall as we speak in our studios. Check out the pictures on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And as I said, this is a first for the exchange, somebody actually building a stone wall on the radio. Kevin, let's go right back to our listeners and their questions about stone walls, their history, and so on. Uh, Rindy is calling in from Henniker. Hi, Rindy. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, Hello. Um, Kevin, well... Derek Owen came, and Kevin built our stone wall. Great. Now, was it a brand new one, Rindy, or was it an old one? No. I live in a house that was built in 1850. It's the old Bacon Farm. And um, I was hoping John Bacon, uh, he might come in the fall because he doesn't drive anymore. He's 85 years old. But we, we used to, when we first moved to the house, um, oh, years and years ago, Oh my goodness! I can't. Try, I'm trying. I just <laughs> don't guess, Randy. <laughs> It'll yes. just depress you. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Derek came out, and then he just said, "No, I'm going to have my nephew and his team of two crazy girls, Christine and I'm trying to think. There was another. So, person. Rindy, what does the stone wall mean to you? Why even have a stone wall and spend the money that it takes to repair it? Um, you know something? It was something that uh, we had we had to change the driveway when uh, basically the house. Um, oh my gosh! I'm trying to think. My my youngest son. I mean, my oldest son was born in 1981. So what about the wall, Rindy? Okay, and so we. Moved Why did you feel like like you didn't have cows that. or horses or anything? So did you really need it? Um, no, we lived in Antrim then, and then this house, the Bacon Farm, through a bitter divorce, went on the market. And I, you know, I went to school in Henniker, and back in the olden I and worked, because um, I always had to work. I'm the only girl with five brothers. And um, so when I came up here to New Hampshire as a college student, um, I had a job, but then I ended up, um, my husband, I met him years later, and um, I said, no, th- I've always loved this farm, because I used to walk. I never had a okay. car. And the stone wall was definitely part of that farm. Rindy, thank you for calling. So how would you assess that, Kevin? You know, if in this day and time when a lot of people don't have cows or horses or sheep, why even bother having a stone wall? Why not just let it crumble? Why repair it? What's it worth? Uh, well, there's there's a variety of reasons why people would want to do that. I think that uh, maybe referring back to the poem is uh, helpful, too. Frost himself points out that there's no practical value to the wall. Uh, but he also, um, uh, certainly uh, by implication, if not directly, um, uh, establishes that the existence of the wall is extremely important to his sense of place. Uh, and it's important enough to uh, to make real effort. Uh, in the case of Rindy Routon, who was one of our very best customers over the years, 
what she wanted to do was define the front of her house, um, separate the lawn from the driveway, uh, create a kind of portal entry for the uh, place as a whole, because it wasn't obvious at the very beginning uh, where those things uh, ought to be or where they could be expected to be. So uh, she, we made a, uh, built a major retaining wall for her, very long, uh, that um, uh, ran right around the edge of the driveway and then uh, set up some other uh, freestanding walls to define garden areas in what had been an, uh, a large, open, undifferentiated space. The walls themselves uh, defined it, separated it into separate areas and created uses for those areas by virtue of that. Well, it kind of gets back to what we talked about uh, earlier with the very early colonists. These walls help them say, this is my spot. I've cleared it. I've staked it out. And I feel a little bit safer and better here now that I have this stone wall. Yeah, I think that concept still operates. It just operates now not in terms of the practicalities of farming, but in terms of the aesthetics of landscaping. That has been the big shift in New England stone walls from one emphasis to another over the years. Well, Rindy, thank you for the call. Um, By the way, how did the Native Americans feel about these stone walls popping up all over the place? This might surprise you, Laura, but Native Americans had a reputation as exceptionally skillful uh, stone wall builders, and they spent quite a lot of time building them. Um, for themselves or not, for the colonists? Not for themselves, because, of course, they didn't run grazing animals. Right, and so exactly. had no need uh, of permanent barriers, but they did build things out of stones. They built ritual um, uh, constructions uh, that had various spiritual or political meanings. Uh, they also built uh, practical structures from time to time for food storage in areas that they were going to only be occupying seasonally and then leave and come back. And they built things like the extraordinary causeway across a lake up in Wakefield, New Hampshire, a beautiful causeway that connected two ends of a trail that terminated at the shores of this lake. Uh, and in order to uh, keep themselves from having to walk all the way around the lake on a trail they used habitually, they built a causeway all the way across it just about a foot below the surface of the water so that you could easily wade across the lake, but it did not divide the lake environmentally in terms of the fish and other creatures, and it also could not be seen unless you knew it was there. That is ingenious. Isn't that great? Yeah, and in the book you also talk about other stone structures. So, um, Kevin, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later for sure. Again, the number one 800 8926477 our guest today in the exchange Kevin Gardner a stone wall builder who designs and restores traditional New England style stone walls he's the author of several books on the subject including the latest stone building how to make New England style walls and other structures the old way he'll be speaking tonight by the way at the Concord Public Library at 6 p.m. he is sort of constructing a wall in our studios as we speak so you can check out Instagram and uh, Twitter if you'd like to see that. Back to our listeners, Kevin, and Susan's in Manchester. Hi, Susan. You're on the exchange. Go ahead. Hi. um, I grew up in uh, eastern Connecticut where my parents had a property with uh, stone walls that um, uh, were along the sides of uh, rural roads. And uh, my father did a lot of rebuilding of stone walls uh, over a, maybe a 30-year period, um, his uh, feeling was that a lot of the roads were um, widened uh, during the Depression era, and um, the stone walls had to be moved so that the roads could be made wider. And it was a lot of work was done by the CCC, or the Civilian Conservation Corps. And um, they just kind of threw the stone walls uh, you know, aside to prepare for the 
widening of the road. And I wonder if that was a phenomenon that also took place uh, in New Hampshire. That's interesting. It kind of gets back, uh, Kevin, to our earlier caller's question mm-hmm. about, you know, where did all the stone walls that she used to see go? Thank you so much, Susan, for the for the question. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, she's exactly right. The CCC was uh, involved in efforts like that. But they also did some work in uh, uh, areas that were recreational in nature, up at Lost River, for instance, in New Hampshire, and other places like that, where they were uh, uh, sometimes restoring some of the older walls. Uh, uh, but Susan's right that uh, the uh, CCC members were not necessarily highly skilled in the techniques of uh, rebuilding stone walls, and I don't think they were especially concerned either during those days uh, uh, with uh, preserving uh, uh, what might be called the specific character of any given wall to them. Uh, at that time, uh, they were simply collections of stones that had to be moved from one place to another. But she's right that there was a, a fairly profound mark on a lot of the older walls that way by uh, uh, rebuilding during that particular era. That's interesting. Yeah. So stone walls were largely by the CCC taken down, in some instances put up, Kevin? Uh, yes. I, well, the, the, the CCC was employed with uh, for whatever purposes uh, were deemed necessary in any given area. You know, uh, the CCC was not formed to uh, create specific projects. It was formed to keep young men busy during the Depression uh, uh, on, uh, on various projects that could be thought of as uh, beneficial to the population at large. But preserving historical stone walls was not really their objective. Well, um, our caller talked about Connecticut, and I have an email here from Christopher in Manchester about other New England states. So thank you to both of you. Christopher says, I'm interested in regional differences of Stonewall styles within New England, where my niece lives in eastern Rhode Island. The walls are ubiquitous, but the rocks are quite flat, narrow and rectangular and quite high. Are there differences between the other New England states? And where do the walls, quote, begin as you're traveling into the New England states? Are the rocks and walls less plentiful, perhaps in certain parts of New England? Uh, Christopher says, we seem to be blessed by classic stone walls in central and southern New Hampshire. Christopher, it's a great question and one I had, too. Regional differences, Kevin. Regional differences are uh, the result of two uh, phenomena. One is the whatever the predominant stone is in that area. And so uh, uh, what Christopher has to say about the... Uh, differences in the way, for instance, uh, stone walls in eastern Rhode Island look. That's entirely correct, that it is because the stone there is that way. Uh, But, you know, we have an exceptionally violent and varied geological history here in New Hampshire and in New England as a whole. Uh, And uh, it was not an equal opportunity um, uh, kind of set of phenomena from tectonic collisions to volcanic activity to the four separate periods of glaciation that put walls of ice a mile high right on top of where we all live now and ground up the green and the white mountains, which were once higher than the Himalayas and have now been busted up into a million little pieces and respread all over <laughs> New England. Wait, the white mountains were once higher than the Himalayas? I didn't yep, know they that. they were huge. They were huge. Is New Hampshire stonier than most other New England states? Because it seems like, well, we're the granite state, first of all. It seems like Vermont has more of that gentle, pastoral, you know, easier to work with farmland than we do. So are we especially blessed with stones for stone walls? Uh, we're we're quite blessed, uh, if that's what you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, early uh, farmers uh, probably didn't feel blessed, but yeah. Not always <laughs> a, an actual practical blessing. I don't know if we're 
uh, if we're stony or not. One thing you have to remember about Vermont is that, largely speaking, it was settled uh, 75 to 100 years later than most of New Hampshire, uh, except right along the rivers. And so uh, the amount of time that they had uh, to create the network of stone walls uh, over there, while it was substantial, and they've, they've got more than their share, uh, is a little bit less than uh, what we had here in New Hampshire. So uh, New Hampshire may appear to be stonier uh, than Vermont, but it's not um, uh, in, uh, in basic terms. We have a couple emails, Kevin, um, mm-hmm. following up on our conversation about how Native Americans used stone and felt about the colonists' stone walls. Mm-hmm. Um, one listener says, I have heard of a great stone wall that the Abenaki built to defend themselves from an invading tribe at the south end of Lake Winnesquam. This person says, how common was it for Native people to build walls, and how did they use them? And I think you did you did answer that, uh, mm-hmm. Kevin, earlier. Here's another email from BJ in Canterbury who says, perhaps you said this, but the stone wall as an expression of safety or civilization came at the expense of a wiped-out previous civilization. Watching the forests be leveled must have been particularly painful for them. So thank you to both of those emails. And mm-hmm. is there anything else, Kevin, that you want to add on that Native American um, angle to this Stonewall conversation? I know you talked about that a fair bit. One of the places in this uh, region where uh, the stone walls, and I think one of your uh, uh, correspondents pointed this out, um, uh, is in southern Rhode Island in Connecticut, where stone walls got started much, much earlier than in many par- other parts of New England. Um, I'm talking now about towns down on those rocky promontories at the southern end of Rhode Island, uh, towns like Tiverton and Little Compton and so forth. Um, this is a part of New England where the original dimensions of our old stone walls and also uh, their configurations are uh, preserved rather m- uh, more carefully than they are in other parts of New England. And they're beautiful walls. Many of them were built by Native Americans prior to King Philip's War uh, in the uh, 17th century. Native Americans had a, a sterling reputation as stone wall builders, but not for themselves. Uh, they built stone walls for pay. They built them as indentured servants. They built them as punishment um, uh, by colonial-era courts uh, for various uh, real or perceived infractions. Uh, but because they were so skillful at working with native materials, they very quickly became uh, known as exceptionally talented wall builders, and a great many of the walls they uh, built are still standing. Wow. Well, there you have it. Thank you again uh, to both of those folks for asking about that. This is The Exchange on NHPR. Kevin, here's another email that came in. Um, This is a person, let's see, didn't give a name. Uh, First settlement in New Hampshire, Odeorn Point in Rye, has miles of stone walls, each its own wonder. Could some be the first walls of New Hampshire, too? Wow. I can't say it's impossible. The um, seacoast obviously was the... Uh, first point of settlement here. Right. Um, the earliest stone wall we have some indication of um, uh, was built in Sagadahawk, Maine in 1607. Um, but it was part of the failed attempt to create a permanent colony up there. Uh, and uh, we only have a reference to it in a letter. Um, it's probably best to uh, stay with the 1640s or so as the 
as the time when um, uh, stone walls really began to be constructed. Here's another email from Michael who says, uh, Kevin might want to mention Dan the Stone Man Scroth from Pittsfield, New Hampshire. Dan is a stonewall enthusiast and has built hundreds of walls for the local communities and has brought people together who otherwise wouldn't to help build these uh, stone walls. Michael says, I want to give a shout out to Dan for his countless hours volunteering to build and restore these historic stone walls. So thank you for that, Michael. And, you know, Kevin, here's the question that that raises for me. You told me before we started talking on the air this morning that there's a whole generation of people now who are actually interested in doing this. Well, there's no question that we are in the midst of what can be described as a stonewall renaissance. You know, this began in the late uh, 1970s when um, the uh, seemingly permanent residential construction building boom began around here. Uh, it's been up and down since then, but it hasn't really abated. And that brought with it a demand for landscape services that uh, has really uh, uh, beefed up the stonewall industry, if you can call it that. There are a great many people now, probably more uh, learning to do this and doing it uh, both on a professional and an avocational basis than have been for at least the last century, if not longer. Let's take another call. And uh, Jed's in Madbury. Hi, Jed. Go ahead. You're on the air. Welcome. Hello. Can you hear me? Sure can. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I uh, I grew up in uh, Washington, New Hampshire, and uh, this uh, story is actually really touching to me because uh, I used to do lots of cross-country skiing and hiking out in the woods in uh, western New Hampshire, and you could get, you know, five, ten miles into the woods, and there would be these stone walls. And I finally, like, asked my mom, like, well, where did these walls come from? And uh, she said that the whole entire town used to be fields. And then as the fields were taken over by woods, that's what's left over is the foundations and the stone walls out in the woods. Sorry, I'm breathing heavy. I was just running plywood up the of the roof. <laughs> um, Be careful, Jed. I hope you're not on the roof now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so with growing up and seeing these walls and cross-country skiing through the, um, uh, through the New Hampshire wilderness, I really got to love the walls. And then I came to move to Nadbury, New Hampshire, and we bought a property. And the north, it's only it's 2.8 acres. The north side has an old stone wall. The west side has an old stone wall. And then it also has um, split rocks where farmers had uh, drilled the rocks and split them for foundations. Right, so, to help build their homes. Um, yeah, Jed, i got to cut you off because we're heading into a break, but we will talk about the ubiquity of stone walls um, and how we stumble over them and what that tells us about our history. So thank you so much for calling in. More with Kevin Gardner on and stone walls in just a moment. This is The Exchange on NHPR. This is The Exchange. I'm Laura Kanoy. Today in The Exchange, a stone wall builder who designs and restores traditional New England-style stone walls. Kevin Gardner is with us. He's also the author of several books on the subject, including the latest that we're talking about, Stone Building, How to Make New England-Style Walls and Other Structures the Old Way. Kevin will be speaking tonight at the Concord Public Library at 6 p.m., we also have lots of photos on our website by Edith Courier of Stone Walls in New Hampshire and of Kevin's work. Send us your pictures of your favorite stone structures. Post them on our Facebook page, NHPR Exchange. 
Also on Twitter and Instagram, you can see pictures of Kevin, who is building a mini stone wall in our studios right now as we speak. So check those out as well. Kevin, you know, for a lot of people, they first start to wonder about these stone walls, not when they're driving to work or riding their bicycle, but when they're hiking or cross-country skiing in the woods and they bump into it, they stumble in, into it. Not just the wall, but the foundations of houses as well. It's kind of ghostly, isn't it? What's that sort of speak to you? This is one of those things that um, uh, is fascinating to talk to people, but sometimes you get a kind of look of, I don't really believe you, uh, from them. Um, visitors to our state often say, why did they build all these walls in the woods? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and they uh, are somewhat skeptical sometimes when you tell them that the woods once weren't there. But it's very difficult to uh, explain to people that the stone walls in our woods are actually older than the woods and that there was a time in the early part of the 19th century when uh, New Hampshire and most of New England was virtually cleared flat for farming. It looked more like the Lake District of Great Britain or someplace like that, where the entire landscape was a, a patchwork of fields and little villages. We were spread much more evenly over the landscape in those days, uh, instead of clustering in villages and cul-de-sacs and so on. In fact, there are a great many towns in New England, especially in upland areas, that have fewer people living in them today than they did in 1830. Well, and it is shocking, though, and it just speaks to to me about the incredible regenerative power of nature that... To see these stone walls, you know, literally miles and miles out in the woods, to think that the forest wasn't there, it, it grew back so quickly. Anybody who is my age, and I'm in my mid-60s now, uh, is and has lived here uh, all their lives, is well aware that there was a lot of open space in the 1950s and 60s that isn't there anymore. It takes next to no time for the woods to return if they are allowed to do so. There are uh, fields in my own neighborhood, uh, which were uh, uh, grassy hay fields uh, when I was 10 years old and now have 30 and 40 foot trees in them. Well, it's funny what you say about tourists coming here and saying, why'd you build stone walls in the middle of the woods? But I understand the sentiment. Let's go back to our listeners. And uh, Ed is in Keene. Hi, Ed. Thanks for calling in. Go ahead. You're on the air. Ed, are you there? Hey, Ed, we're having a hard time hearing you. Are you there? How about now? It's not great, Ed. I would encourage you to call us back. I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you there. But thank you, Ed, for trying. And, and do try back. The number is 1-800-892-6477. Email exchange at nhpr.org. You know, Kevin, you said earlier that um, we're in the midst of a renaissance of interest in stone wall building. So mm -hmm. younger people are interested in doing what you and your family have done for a long time and what people way, way, way back did. How different is it, Kevin, building a stone wall today versus, you know, the early first stone wall builders? Well, we're not. Um, uh, the difference is the absence of necessity. We're not um, uh, desperate to have uh, fences uh, anymore. We build our stone walls for decorative purposes or for historic restoration purposes. Uh, the rules or the uh, technical uh, requirements of building stone walls are precisely the same today as they were 10,000 years ago. Uh, uh, it has not changed uh, at all. This is what, one reason um, why it's so difficult to tell the age of a wall simply by looking at it, um, uh, because those styles, uh, the, the basic styles, don't change very much. Wait, the rules haven't changed from 
10,000 years. Mm -hmm. So what are the basic rules? It's nice to know that things haven't changed. Uh, essentially, yes, it is, isn't it? Uh, uh, they essentially involve making sure that every single stone in every wall that you build uh, has multiple physical dependencies to hold its position rather than only one. Uh, because stone walls move around so much, because they are subject to uh, so many natural forces that are trying to take them apart, uh, it is better for each stone in the wall to have more than one way to stay where it is uh, as long as it can. And this means um, essentially for them to be touching as many other stones within that structure as they possibly can. Stone walls that have only one other stone, in other words, stones... Uh, stone walls in which the individual stones are piled up directly on top of each other rather than cross-hatched uh, over several other stones with uh, the same kind of cross-hatching uh, happening above them as well have a much uh, less uh, secure chance of lasting as long as they can. Kind of sounds like the advice that you have, you know, have a couple friends that you can depend on, not just one person. That's a beautiful analogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, Kevin is building a stone wall as we speak in our studio, so you can check it out on Twitter or Instagram. Um, so back to this point about how you build it, and the best thing is to have several edges of each individual stone, depending on the edges of other stones. So this is dry masonry, Kevin. In right. other words, no cement, no filler. Mm -hmm. What are the advantages of that? Uh, uh, there are several. One is ease of construction, of course. One is uh, less expense. You know, our, uh, our original stone walls uh, were built without uh, any mortar because mortar was uh, not only uh, time-consuming and tedious to create uh, in those days, but even after they started putting Portland cement in it in the latter part of the 19th century, uh, a dry-laid wall is not only easier to fix, uh, but it also sheds water, does not collect it as... Um, as masonry walls do, uh, and uh, uh, therefore uh, combines ease of construction with ease of maintenance. So it doesn't crack because it already has cracks in it. That's right. It's nothing but cracks. And it adapts to shifts in the landscape, it, you yes. know, frost and, and, you know, heating and cooling and trucks rumbling by, and that disturbs them a little bit. But because they're built sort of jiggly, they're able to handle the jiggles. A uh, well-built dry-laid uh, dry stone wall has a certain amount of flexibility to it. It can respond uh, to changes in the ground underneath it or to semi-catastrophic events without uh, falling down, even though it loosens up a little bit. Minor earthquakes and so forth, which That's we have right. had here in New England. Oh, yes, we do. Let's take another call. This is Karen in uh, Brookline. Go ahead, Karen. Uh, you're on the air. Welcome. Um, I had a question. I lived in Windham for a few years, and one of my neighbors was trying to uh, build an addition, and they were trying to move their rock wall, and they were told that they couldn't because the rock wall was built by Chinese laborers, and it was historic. Wow. This is a great question because it does make me wonder who built these walls. I mean, we're used to thinking of the farmer, maybe his or her family. We also talked about Native Americans, how they built a lot of these walls, mm -hmm. but go ahead. Immigrant laborers. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, uh, what authority Karen is citing uh, when she says that uh, it was not allowed to uh, change this wall. We have very few, uh, uh, if any, serious protections for uh, our old stone walls. We have some. Uh, we have a couple of laws here in New Hampshire. One uh, says you can't move materials from somebody else's land, and therefore you can't steal walls. And another. Uh, uh, makes it a misdemeanor to break the bounds between two properties that are owned by different people. But both of these are not explicit uh, as far as stone walls go. So I'm, uh, I'm not sure what rule or law Karen is citing when she says that uh, the folks were not allowed to move 
a, a, a particular wall because of who it had been built by. That's not a general protection that we have here. And so it sounds more like a, a local or, ordinance or a historic district rule or something like that. Sure. Well, that makes sense, actually. And I'm guessing that towns do have different rules and regs around keeping their stone walls because they're part of what make the town pretty. They do sometimes, um, uh, but Laura, you know, it's very difficult, especially in um, uh, uh, in independent-minded New England, to tell people what they can do with their own property. And, <laughs> and uh, 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 the vast majority of our old stone walls are in private hands. She mentioned Chinese immigrants building these walls, and you do mm-hmm. mention in one of your books, Kevin, that uh, in later times, immigrants were known as skilled wall builders. Well, there's no question that from the mid-19th century on, we had uh, uh, enormous numbers of people coming over here from uh, uh, countries in which stone wall building was a recognized profession. I'm talking now about Greece, Ireland, Italy, uh, Finland. Uh, many of those people uh, uh, showed up in the middle of the 19th century, and although the farmers were no longer uh, building many, many walls by that time, others were. Uh, the railroads needed infrastructure. Municipalities were building walls around reservoirs and cemeteries and so on. And the wealthy, who were sometimes buying up old farms out in the countryside, also employed wall builders at places like Castle in the Clouds or the Rocks up in Bethlehem. Okay, well, thank you for that call. You're listening to The Exchange on NHPR. Kevin, speaking of wall builders from other countries, I've got an email here from Liz who says, while traveling on the windswept west coast of Ireland, we noticed that the ancient stone walls on the hill sites had open spaces between the stones. Asking a local why this was, we were told that it allows the winds to blow through and keeps the walls from crumbling. Liz asks, is this done on higher elevation and or windswept areas in New England. Uh, Liz emailing us from North Conway. Thank you, Liz. Go ahead, Kevin. It certainly is. Um, uh, on Nantucket, for instance, where the wind blows rather constantly, uh, they build what they call lace walls, uh, which have lace uh, walls. deliberate holes uh, in them. And just the way the banners that they put up outside stores have little scoop cuts in them to let the wind pressure through so they won't blow all over the place. It's precisely the same with walls. And this is usually done only with uh, however, single-stack type walls that are much more fragile and actually can lose stones to a wind. Here's another question. Um, again, talking about walls on coastal areas, John says they used stone as ballast for the schooners and packets that transported goods throughout the colonies. The port towns along the New England coast all have beautiful stone walls. So that's something else we haven't talked about. We talked about farmers building stone walls out of the stuff that they hauled out of the ground so they could plant, but John's right. There were some rocks coming over from from Europe that were probably used along the coast. Sure. I, I'm sure there's no question about it. John, thank you for that email. The phone number is 1-800-892-6477. And by the way, Kevin Gardner is almost done building the stone wall that he started out building <laughs> when we started our conversation. You can see his wall building on Instagram at NHPR Exchange. By the way, we always post some fun stuff on Instagram. So check it out, NHPR Exchange. Kevin, last question for you. Um when you travel around New Hampshire, you know, on your bike, in your car, walking, do you even see the houses or the forests or do you just see the stone? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's a phenomenon of stone walls, Laura, right? that once you begin to <laughs> notice them, you can't stop. Sure. Uh, there's a kind of um, almost hypnotic attraction to them. And this is for many people, not just people like me. 
what I see when I drive around New Hampshire is not necessarily uh, walls alone, but rather the um, the outlines of the older landscape that gave rise to the walls. That's what I like to look for. What do you mean by that? The outlines of the older landscape. I mean, uh, I try to see a landscape without its modern appurtenances, without the regrowth of the forest. I can use the walls and the sh- their shapes, their configurations to imagine what uh, it was like when the walls were new, how much open space there was, where the real old houses are or were, as opposed to all the new houses that have been put into the little spaces in between uh, in the meantime. So, so it's like a, it helps you time travel. Absolutely. Helps you figure out what the landscape looked like. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you've got about eight more stones, Kevin, and less than 60 seconds, so <laughs> no pressure. But I can again, do it. I can do again, it. Again, if you want to see Kevin building his stone wall in our studios, really fun. It's on Instagram, NHPR Exchange. Kevin, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, I really, a, really appreciate such it. Such a pleasure, Laura. Thank you. Again, that's Kevin Gardner, stone wall builder and writer. His latest book, Stone Building, How to Make New England-Style Walls and Structures, the old way. If you live in the Concord area, he'll be speaking at the Concord Public Library tonight at 6 p.m. This is The Exchange on NHPR. The views expressed in this program are those of the individuals and not those of NHPR, its board of trustees, or its underwriters. If you liked what you heard, spread the word. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other listeners find us. And thanks.